The Productive Woman, Episode 345. Hello and welcome to this episode of The Productive Woman. My name is Laura McClellan and this is a podcast about productivity for busy women. My goal is to help you find the tools and encouragement you need to manage your time, life, stress, and stuff so you can accomplish the things you care about most and make a life that matters. Welcome and thank you for joining me. In this episode, we're going to talk a little bit about the personal side of productivity. You'll find links and additional information in the show notes for this episode, which you will find at theproductivewoman.com slash 345. This episode is brought to you by one of my very favorite productivity tools, Text Expander. Text Expander allows you to keep your written communications consistent and accurate. And in our fast-paced world, things change constantly Errors in messaging often have significant consequences. Text Expander lets you make new approved messaging available to every team member instantly with just a few keystrokes, ensuring that your team remains consistent, current, and accurate. You get your message right every time because you expand content that corrects your spelling and keeps your language consistent with just a few keystrokes. Your team members will consistently know the right message for the right person at the right time without relying on memory or copy and paste. And even if you don't have a team, Text Expander can help you be consistent in your communications. I use it many, many times every day. There are lots of things both in my legal practice and in the productive woman and just in my everyday email communications, for instance, where I need to say the same things frequently. I'm responding to questions or conveying information that has to go to people, you know, routinely. And Text Expander allows me to do that quickly. I don't have to copy and paste. I don't have to remember what's the best way to say this because I've figured it out one time. I've created a snippet and I can just do, you know, two or three keystrokes and it pops that message into my communication, whether it's in email on a website, in Word, wherever I'm typing. And I encourage you to check it out. If you spend a lot of time communicating things online uh, or on your computer, Text Expander can save you time, save you brain damage, and allow you to get that message out consistently, accurately, and efficiently. And Productive Woman listeners get 20% off their first year of Text Expander if you get there by going to textexpander.com slash podcast. That's where you can learn about how Text Expander works. If you're not already using it, sign up, get 20% off your first year. That's text expander.com slash podcast and be sure and let them know I sent you. All right, let's talk about productivity. Productivity is a very personal thing. Everything about us, our background, our relationships, our physical and mental condition, our mindset, everything affects our productivity, both our ability to do the things that are important to us and our ability to make a life that matters as we define it, partly because all of those things affect how we define a life that matters. Everything from our childhood forward, our personality, all those things make a difference in our ability to be productive. 
I've been thinking about that. Um, this episode's being published just a few days before my birthday, and I thought it was a good time to maybe share a few things that you might not know about me and how they affect my productivity. I invite you as you listen to this and after you've thought about it to do an inventory in your own life of the personal factors that maybe affect your productivity and, um, you know, do some journaling about that. That's kind of what I did and how I came up with this. So here are 10 things uh, you might not know about me. I may have mentioned some of these in the past, uh, but I don't talk about them often and I'll share a little bit about them and about how they affect my ability to get the things done that are important to me and make a life that matters as I define it. And I kind of set them up more or less um, chronologically. And so the first thing has to do with how I came into the world. And you might not know that I was born with congenital hip dysplasia. And given birth in the last 10, 20 years, you might have noticed that in the delivery room, when the baby is born, they, they do this kind of what I call frogging their legs and they're moving them around. They are checking for congenital hip dysplasia. That is the, the hip socket being out of location, not where it's supposed to be. Uh, they did not check for that back in 1960 when I was born. And so it was not discovered until I was uh, old enough that I should have been walking. And my young mother kind of persistently chased doctors down until someone would do an x-ray to find out why I never crawled correctly and why I couldn't walk. And they discovered that uh, my hips were or particularly my left hip was out of place. And that has affected my life throughout my life. As a, a preschooler, I, a toddler even, I had surgery to repair that so that I was able to walk. And over the course of my life, uh, it had consequences. I have limited mobility in actually both hips now, but particularly that left hip, uh, I've never been able to tailor sit. I can't squat uh, very deeply at all. And actually later on in life, one of the side effects of this particular birth defect is um, degenerative arthritis that developed in my hips. The cartilage just deteriorated to the point that I was in a lot of pain for a lot of years until finally uh, I had the my left hip uh, I had a, a replacement, a hip replacement done, which was life-changing. I had put it off for years because I was afraid of of the hip replacement surgery. I was afraid of, you know, what if it didn't work or my body rejected uh, the the implant that they do to, re to repair it. And it finally, the pain was so excruciating and so constant that I finally gave up and had it done. And it, it really changed my life because from the moment I woke up from the anesthesia, I had no pain. And I, I didn't even know what that was like to not have pain when I moved or walked. A few years later, I discovered similar issues in my right hip. And so that one was replaced as well. So born with congenital hip dysplasia, which affected me through my childhood, there, there were certain things that I um, wasn't able to do. 
And then later in life, having hip replacement surgery, relatively young, um, that, that made all the difference so that I was now able to walk and jog without pain. But as a result of the hip dysplasia and the later, and you know, the consequences of it over the years, it basically means I have physical limitations that affect how I do things. For example, as I said a minute ago, I cannot squat. I cannot tailor sit, um, you know, sit with your legs crossed on the floor. I, I physically am unable to do that. So during doing certain tasks, uh, simple things like cleaning low areas like the baseboards in the house or putting things away in bottom cabinets requires me to bend over or get down on my hands and knees. I wish I could squat. I wish I could tailor sit. That uh, would have made a lot of things in life easier, but I can't do those things. And so how it affects my productivity is I've had to get a little creative about uh, how to get certain things done, just physical tasks. It also means I walk funny because one leg is shorter than the other. And I, it's something I've been self-conscious about my whole life. So it has affected my productivity and my ability to make a life that matters in that I have had to overcome that self-consciousness and those physical limitations to do the things that are important to me. You know, when I'm asked to speak somewhere, it's always in my mind that when I walk up to the podium, are people going to be looking at me funny? And we'll talk, you know, another time about that, that whole, how worrying about what other people think of us can really interfere with our ability to get the things done that are important to us. So it's been a lifelong journey to sort of overcome both the physical limitations and the, you know, the mindset issues that go along with the consequences of that particular birth defect. So something you may not have known about me that has affected my productivity. Maybe you have something in your life that's like that, some, some physical limitation or some, something like that, that has affected you. And so I, in that case, you probably understand why, why it's relevant to a discussion of productivity. Uh, we all have things to overcome, to get creative about, and maybe to do some mind work to help us to be productive in the way that we want to be. So that's number one. Uh, the second thing that you might not know about me, especially if you haven't listened long, I, I may have talked about all of these things before in passing, but uh, number two is that I am the oldest of six children. The four of us were born kind of close together. So I was born in 1960. I have a sister who's about a year younger than me, a brother who's about a year younger than her, uh, then another sister that's a um, year and a half younger than number three. And then there was a, there's a gap in time. And I was 18 when our youngest, uh, oh, no, wait, there's Julie. I was 13 when Julie was born. And then another gap, and I was 18 when uh, my youngest sister was born. So I'm the oldest of six. And uh, my mother is sort of in the middle of seven children. And what's interesting about this is a lot of, because I'm the oldest, 
and uh, and is particularly the oldest girl, a lot of birth order science supports the idea that I was sort of born to be a productivity nerd. One article I read uh, from Entrepreneur Magazine said, according to the stereotype, firstborns tend to be serious, structured, goal-driven, high-achieving, well-organized, and logical thinkers. And, you know, I read that and I thought, well, there's, there's some truth in that. I, I can tend to be pretty serious, although I, you know, I think I have a pretty decent sense of humor and I'm definitely, I lean towards structured. I like structure. I like routines. I feel, uh, off balance when my routine is interrupted and it's something I have to work on to be more flexible. I, I do tend to be goal driven. I, I guess some people would say I'm high achieving. I, I think I have always been pretty organized and logical in my thinking, although I, you know, I have a very strong emotional component as well, as my husband will tell you. So just the science of it is that as a first born, I would be inclined to be organized and, and lean toward productivity. And I, I think that's true in my, in my case. Uh, in addition, large families being a part of a large family pretty much requires organization and, and being the oldest in a large family, I always was inclined toward those things. I, even as a kid, my mom will tell you, I loved writing lists and making charts and organizing games and clubs and those sorts of things. I've just always been interested in that sort of stuff. And I don't know how much of it was just my uh, innate reaction to sort of the, the ongoing chaos of a large family and how much of it is just uh, who, who knows what drives a person toward that. But being the oldest of six children uh, has definitely impacted my perspective on and inclination toward organization, time management, and those sorts of things. Number three of the things that you might not know about me, I was born and raised in Washington state here in the United States, but we moved a lot when I was a kid. My dad was a log truck driver and honestly a bit of a wanderer. And so we moved often. I went to three different schools for sixth grade alone. And I will confess, I hated moving. I more than once recall crying when I was told we were moving again. I think part of that was because I, I was, uh, and still am, uh, an introvert who found it hard to kind of get outside myself and make friends when we would go to a new place. I was often, many times over the course of my childhood, the new kid in class. And I found that difficult. It, it was uncomfortable for me and I felt conspicuous and self-conscious adding to the fact, you know, I always sort of walked a little funny because of the issues with my hips. And I was a, a bookworm nerd, you know, kind of shy. It took me a lot of years and some activities that I'll talk about here in a minute down the list a little bit uh, for me to purposefully learn ways to, um, I don't know if it would be the right to say integrate myself into a new situation, but I have learned and I forced myself over the years to learn to speak up and to talk to somebody and find someone. I've never been one 
who was like the life of the party and had lots and, you know, just gathered lots of people around me. I always, wherever we went, was more inclined to find one really good friend and, you know, develop a relationship with her, which made it harder when it came time to move because I was leaving behind at least one person, you know, sometimes more than that, that it was really important to me. And so part of the impact that all of that has had on my productivity and my definition of what it means to make a life that matters is I have never felt like I had a hometown. So I have friends who have lived you know, were born, raised and lived their entire life in one community. And I've envied them at times because they know where they're from and they know where they belong. You know, I sort of was, I I belong all over the place. I'm generally from the Pacific Northwest of the United States, but I don't, I can't to this day say, you know, this is my hometown because we move so often. And the impact of that over the years has been for me to really gravitate towards finding ways to make home feel homey, uh, to, to make a home wherever I am. And, and honestly, I've been married a long time and for me, home is wherever Mike is. So that's how I've created that space in my life that, that, anchor, I guess, is a person rather than a location. But part of my objective in, in my organization things and part of my drive in, in terms of making a life that matters is creating a sense of home wherever we live at any given time. Uh, the fourth thing on the list of 10 things you might not know about me is that when I was younger, I wanted to be a country singer. I loved music from a very young age. I loved to sing. Uh, I never thought I was a great singer, but people asked me to sing and liked my singing, said they liked my singing. And so I took every opportunity to do so. And in junior and senior high school in particular, music really was my life. I was a good student. I got good grades, but music was everything for me. And particularly the farther along I got in high school, uh, all my friends were met through the various choirs I sang in. And in fact, I met Mike in one of those groups. Uh, he came in as the bass player. Uh, I think it was our junior year, maybe it was senior year of a group that I had sung in for a couple of years by that point. Participating in choirs and vocal ensembles had has had a distinct impact on my productivity in the sense of making a life that matters because I learned a lot of skills through doing that. It taught me things about teamwork. It taught me things about the importance of practicing and developing your craft. It taught me about listening to the people around you because you can't sing well in an ensemble or a choir as a, you know, isolated individual. You've got to listen to the people around you and um, sort of blend and match with them. I also learned to be comfortable in front of an audience, both singing as part of the choir and as a soloist and also speaking because the, the ensembles that I sang in part of what we did when we would perform is different ones in the group would introduce a song or introduce the group or talk a little bit about themselves. And so 
I learned how to do that. And it has affected my ability to be productive in lots of ways over the course of my life, made it easier for me to speak, you know, even like interviews and things like that. When I was looking for my first job as a lawyer, all of that was developed, a certain level of confidence and ability to express myself came from my participation in the choirs and vocal ensembles that I was part of from junior high onward. I mean, I sang, you know, we had music classes in in elementary school as well, but really uh, this started to become more and more a focal point of my life as I got into junior and then senior high school. So the skills I learned there beyond just, you know, being exposed to music and making good friends and all those sorts of things, those skills that I learned have been important to me in my professional life and even my willingness to put myself out there when I, when I launched the podcast. So all of that came from that. None of that relates to the dream I had as a kid to be a country music star. And so part, because that changed over time, what I wanted to do with music and with my life changed over time. So that contributed to my productivity journey by me learning to be flexible when my dreams changed. And to me, flexibility and a willingness to recognize that things are different now and change your plan is a big part of productivity. So that's number four. Number five, you, you probably have heard me mention this before, but particularly if this is, you, you haven't been listening to the Productive Woman podcast for very long, you might not know that I married at 18 and had our first child when I was 20. So I was set to go to college as a vocal performance major when I graduated from high school. That was my plan. As I said, I wanted to be a singer, whether I was going to be a country music singer or not, I, I music was going to be my life. And I had been admitted to a music program, very good music program at a college uh, in Washington state was all set to go. And life intervened over the summer after graduation when I connected with the guy who had come in, I mentioned earlier, as the bass player uh, senior year. We went to rival high schools, but and so I met him really through the group when he came in as the bass player for this vocal ensemble that I had sung in since I was a sophomore in high school. I knew who he was. I admired his musical talent, but he went to a different school and, you know, he was in the rhythm section and I was one of the singers and most of my, we were all friends in the group, but my closest friends were some of the other singers. Uh, we started hanging out together basically 4th of July weekend. So just a few weeks after we had graduated from our respective high schools, that was 4th of July, beginning of July. By October, we were engaged. And by the following March, we were married. I look back now and I think our parents must have been horrified that these two teenagers who really didn't know anything had decided to get married and, and launch a life together. What's interesting, I guess, about that or the impact that it has on productivity is getting married less than a year after graduating from high school. My life at that age was very different from the life that my peers were living. My, my high school friends and the other people my age 
they were in college. I was married and trying to learn how to navigate life as a married person. Uh, I had a job and, and different things. And we, we did lots of other things after we got married, but I had to learn to think of my husband's needs and preferences as well as my own as I developed my approach to managing a home, to just to life in general. And that was, uh, had a huge impact on my, uh, my approach to productivity, my way of getting things done. I had my own ideas because as I've said before, I've been a productivity nerd since I was a kid. I always enjoyed charts and calendars and plans. And I loved reading books about time management and organization. And I loved coming up with ways of doing things. And I had, was kind of set in my ways, even at that young age and, uh, getting married so young among other things, other impacts that it had on me, it helped me learn that I needed to think about somebody else. Cause Mike had opinions about, you know, where things should go in the house or what we should do with our time and all those sorts of things. And so I had to learn to accommodate, to think about somebody else besides myself and incorporate into my thinking and my planning and all of those things, someone else's way of doing things or someone else's preferences and what they needed. And that was an important, um, impact on how I thought about productivity and about how you make a life that matters. I also learned some things from him. I was maybe a little more, um, laissez-faire maybe about time in the sense of getting places on time or that sort of thing. Mike was very, from, from a young age, from when I met him, uh, very insistent that we be on time to wherever we were supposed to be. He, he, from him, I learned to realize that being late is inconsiderate of other people's time because it's saying my time is more valuable than yours. You can wait for me to arrive. And so that's a little thing that has flown or kind of flowed through my life. Something that I learned from the man I married when we were both 18 years old. The sixth thing you might not know about me is that there were 10 years between my second and third years of college. So Mike and I, as I said, married young, we were both working um, for the state of Washington at, at just sort of entry level jobs for that first year or so. And then we we both decided to go to college. And so we moved to uh, Bellingham, Washington to attend Western Washington University together. And it was while we were there that our first child was born. Um, So I did, uh, you know, I did a year of college. We moved, we did some other things I did. uh, And then I did my second year of college at another place. And then for 10 years, I did other things. Uh, so I didn't finish my degree immediately. And during that 10 years, we moved across the country twice. We had three more children. I homeschooled my children. I taught childbirth classes. I changed my major. When I, when we first started college, I was an English major. I had given up on the idea of music for various reasons. We were, I was still singing, but at church and different things like that, but I wasn't going to study it. Uh, and when we went back, 
when I went back to school 10 years later, I already had four children. I had our fifth child was born a few weeks after finals of my senior year and just a few weeks before I sat for the law school admissions test and the, actually it was my junior year, I guess, uh, and the graduate record exam. And I had changed my major. So I, I ultimately took my degree in political science uh, for various reasons, because by then I had decided I was going to go to law school after I graduated. So i sorry. Yeah. Sam was born a few weeks after finals of my junior year. I took those exams a few weeks later and then finished school and went on to law school. Everything I had learned to that point of when I went back to school at the end of that 10 year gap came into play as I entered a new phase of life, uh, attending college full-time and then law school with a family and a home to care for and people that I loved. Having systems and routines in place made all the difference at that point in my ability to fit in my classes and studying into my life while still caring for my home, my family, and getting the things done that were important to me. All the reading I had done when I was a kid, all the trying out different systems and routines, all the things that I had learned up to that point were what made the difference in my ability to finish college and then go to law school with a family in tow. The other thing I learned by going back to school at that stage in my life uh, was I learned to ask for help. I simply couldn't do it all. Things that I had always done as I was, you know, managing the household while Mike went to work and all, all those things had to shift to other people in the household because I simply couldn't do it all and do it perfectly. And I'd struggled with that. I felt guilty at various times that I was asking, you know, Mike to come home from work and, and help with dinner or one of the kids to help with something because I felt like I should be able to do that. That's my, that was my job. And that's the way I grew up. That's the way I wanted it to be. It's still the way I feel. Uh, everybody helps around here, but it's my domain and I like it that way. And so one of the things that came out of that going back to school at that stage of my life in my mid thirties with a house full of kids was to, to be okay with asking for help and, you know, teaching my kids how to do certain things around the house. I realized how important that was. And I had done that as part of homeschooling. I wanted them to know, you know, to contribute to the household. And it was a good thing I had. It made a big difference in, in my ability to be productive at that season of life. The seventh thing you might not know about me is that I homeschooled our kids for 10 years. I've mentioned that earlier, including my first year of law school. And this was a choice we made for lots of different reasons. And we can talk about that sometime if you think that's interesting, but homeschooling the kids, uh, especially during that first year of law school was 
an int- it, it, the impact it had on my productivity and my ability to get things done and to make a life that matters was significant. Part of making a life that matters for me was for that season of my life to take a direct hand in my kid's education. But in order to do that, I had to apply all the things I had learned over the years about time management, organization, thinking about other people, all those things. Uh, all of that had to come into play in order for me to be able to do a good job of educating them and, and do the other things, including attend law school. Uh, after that first year, my oldest kids, uh, themselves decided they were ready to go to regular, regular school. And so they, that was a, another shift in life. One of the other things that homeschooling contributed to my productivity was uh, the need to understand and appreciate different ways of learning. And I learned to adjust my approach to the needs of each individual child, which was a valuable lesson throughout my life as I've needed to communicate with people who have a variety of learning and communication styles. And I've learned to be um, more flexible in my approach to life in general as a result of all of this. So it was something that really made a difference for me in my, my productivity overall, as I realized in all those years of homeschooling, what worked for one kid, say to learn to read, didn't work for the next one. And that was hard for me because I, I had come up with a system that I thought was fabulous. And I just wanted to repeat that it didn't work. And so it was an important lesson, a valuable lesson in my legal career and just everywhere in life, realizing different people learn in different ways, communicate in different ways, and you got to be creative. You've got to understand the people you're talking to and be creative in finding ways to communicate in a way that they can understand, that they can receive whatever it is you're trying to communicate. So homeschooling for all those years made a huge difference. The eighth thing you might not know about me is at this stage of my life, I have five adult children and eight grandchildren with number nine due in just a few weeks. Uh, This uh, is partly a consequence of all the things that I have already talked about. Marrying young, starting our family young. We chose to have five kids on purpose (laughs) and I'm very happy about it. And and now at this stage of my life, um, our five kids are grown. Three of them are married. No, yes, four of them are married. Three of them have children. And the fourth one is the one who's expecting a child here this summer. And number five is uh, finished graduate school and will be starting his uh, first kind of big job uh, very soon in, in less than a month. And so they, they all have their own lives and, and Um, are out doing the things that they're doing. But the fact that I have these five adult children and eight grandchildren and and counting has a significant impact on my productivity. It drives my priorities as far as how I spend my time, energy, and attention. There are lots of things I don't do to make space in my life for the people I care about around the things that I, I need to do with respect to my job, the, the podcasting, the other things that are, are important to me. Nothing matters more than family to me. 
And that is something I learned over the years as I, as I work out in my own mind, my definition of a life that matters. A lot of it is tied up in those people. Now, what's interesting is that uh, I, I have to deal with the fact that often my calendar doesn't reflect that that's the most important thing to me. And I constantly have to be revisiting how am I spending my time, my energy, and my attention? Does it reflect the fact that these, these people are the most important thing in my life? Uh, sometimes it doesn't. And I have to recalibrate and re really think about that. And that's a constant struggle for me because I'm one who gets very absorbed in the thing I'm doing. And, um, have to remind myself that when family needs me, that's not an interruption. That's the reason for, for everything I do. And having all these children and grandchildren informs my view of the world. And it has from the day our first child was born, I, I was born also in me, a desire to make the world a better place for my children and my grandchildren and those who will come after. So that's a significant part of my definition of a life that matters. How am I contributing to making life and the world better for them? And it also motivates me to keep working hard at my legal career and finding ways to be effective and efficient in the things I do, um, be in part because of what it allows me to do for the people I love. Um, number nine uh, of the 10 things that you might not know about me is that I started my legal career at age 38 after all our kids were born. And I've kind of alluded to that earlier in this episode and, and in the past, uh, as, as I said before, for the 10 years or so leading up to that year, I'd mostly been at home raising kids and pursuing other interests like teaching childbirth classes, uh, doing some writing and, and some of those sorts of things. Uh, the change to a more than full-time career was a drastic one in our life and as I think I've kind of alluded to already, I didn't always handle it well. I missed a lot of important family things because I was working, because I was so absorbed in launching this career at age 38 that I would stay at work much longer than I needed to, or I would say yes to much more than I needed to at work, which meant I was often saying no to my family. If I have a regret in life, that's it. And it is something that has really, you know, I, I kind of came to a realization a few years into it of, I, I was spending a lot of time and energy and attention creating a life that did not reflect what was most important to me. This is no judgment on what anybody else chooses. It's just an honest admission of, who I had become at that stage of my life was not the person I wanted to be. I was not making a life that matters as I defined it. And it really, um, there was a real kind of epiphany for me. And I, as I took a step back and I thought about, okay, what do I want my life to look like? If this isn't it, what do I want my life to look like? Who do I want to be in the world? And how do I want to be remembered by the people who I love the most? And so I made a lot of changes and I continue to think about that because as I said, the, the 
legal career is very demanding, very, can be very time consuming and, and can really take all the time, energy and attention you'll give to it if you let it. And so I, it's a constant, um, I wouldn't even say struggle at this point, but it's a constant effort to remind myself of what matters to think about from one day to the next, from one moment to the next is what I'm doing consistent with the life that I've said I want to live uh, and the person I want to be in the world. And so that's, that's been a huge impact because of the drastic change and the, the results of it. And finally, the 10th thing you might not know about me is that I have been a huge bookworm ever since I learned to read. Now, I don't know if this is true or not, but I recall my, uh, my mother saying years ago that I came back from the first day or week of kindergarten, all disgusted and said, I wasn't going back because I went there to learn to read and they were just teaching me colors and I already knew my colors. Um, I don't know if that's really true or not, but that's a memory I have of my mother telling me about that. I have read widely and eclectically ever since I learned to read. I, I love fiction of various types. I devour nonfiction, especially self-help type books, um, always looking for new things to learn. I own several thousand books, much to my husband's chagrin, and, and that's not counting the hundreds that are in my Kindle app. Um, nonfiction, I generally prefer to have hard copies that I can look at and flag pages and mark, you know, underlying passages and stuff. Fiction, I tend these days to read, um, you know, a digital version. I've always loved reading. I've always had books around. I'm usually reading more than one book at a time. And, uh, it, it's harder these days than it was at various times in the past, just because there's so much going on in my life and I don't have as much time available to sit and read as I used to, but I still love to read. I love learning new things. I love experiencing different perspectives. Um, and the reading I have done has certainly affected my productivity, both my definition of, of a life that matters and just also my, my perspective on productivity of getting things done that are important. It forms my thinking about the world. I purposely try to read materials from a wide variety of sources and perspectives, even those I disagree with. Uh, it may not change my mind but I want to understand the thinking of the people who, who see things differently than I do. I, I think that's an important thing for all of us to do. I think it's a crucial part of making a life that matters because as I've said before, I truly believe that a life that matters almost always matters in relation to other people. And that's true of both the people you know well and love and the the people in the broader world. And if we read and listen to understand, we can develop more healthy relationships and come together, even with people we disagree with, to come up with solutions for the problems that face our world. And so reading and being a bookworm all these years has maybe been one of the most influential activities 
in my definition of productivity and in my uh, actual actions of, of being productive and making a life that matters as I define it. So those are 10 things you might not know about me and a little bit about how they affect my productivity. What are the lessons that I've taken from all this? Because I thought, well, you know, what's the value of sharing individual things about myself? What's the point? Uh, it's not just an exercise in narcissism. It's there, there really is a message here. I share this because as I think about productivity, I realize how deeply personal it is. How you define a productive day and a life that matters is very specific to you. And it's deeply influenced by your background, your experiences, and your personality. I truly believe there's no right or wrong way to be productive. There's not one way that works. What works for me at my stage of life might not work for you. And that's why I think it's valuable to hear some of these things about a person's background, because it puts what they say about productivity into some context and what works for them might not work for you. In fact, what works for me now might not have worked for me when I was younger and all our kids were home or when I was at a different stage of life. And so understanding and believing that productivity both the definition and how it plays out in life is very personal. We can learn from each other. We can get ideas from each other, but we should never measure ourselves by what we see other people doing. So that's the first thing, first lesson from all of this and the the value of kind of talking about these things. The second one is that persistence is important. Life is a long haul proposition and we have to be willing to keep at it over the long term to get what we want in our lives, to become who we want to be, to create the life that we want. We have to be persistent and keep trying and keep going after it. The third thing though, is that it helps to be flexible and to be willing to, uh, and able to let go of tools, systems, goals, and even dreams that no longer serve you or reflect who you are today. Sometimes we get bogged down because we're hanging on to something that was important to us years ago that we think should still be important, but it's not. And so if it's not working, let it go and move forward. And the fourth lesson I think from all of this is that it really is all about the journey and not so much about the destination. We don't create a life that matters and then sit in it. It's a constant, constant, change and and growth journey. So those are my thoughts, but what do you think? What are the unique things about you that affect your productivity, both your definition of it and your how you actually implement it in your life? I would love to hear that. You can share your thoughts on that or any questions you might have in the comment section of the show notes for this episode, which you'll find at theproductivewoman.com slash 345 or post a comment or question on the Productive Woman Facebook page. 
Or if you're in a member of the, or if you are a member of the Productive Woman Community Facebook group, that'd be a great place for us to continue this conversation. And if you haven't already done so, and you're a woman who listens to this podcast, please consider joining me in the Productive Woman Community Facebook group. This is a private group where we can meet up and interact more, directly ask questions, share information, insights, and encouragement. Basically talk about productivity and support each other in this journey toward making a life that matters. I love the conversations that go on there and I'd love to invite you to be a part of it. You can find the group on Facebook and join, uh, click the join button. Please be sure to answer the questions. All there are three questions and uh, an agreement to, uh, comply with, abide by the rules of the group. There aren't very many, but they're important. And if you don't answer the questions and agree that you'll uh, abide by the rules, I can't admit you into the group because I'm very protective of the community there. And I want to know that people who ask to join the group are there to be a part of that community and contribute to it as well as get the support and encouragement from it. So I'd love to see you there. Uh, I think that's it. Remember to visit textexpander.com slash podcast to learn how easily Text Expander can help you be more efficient in your written communication and to get 20% off your first year of this essential productivity tool. Let me know if you've signed up for it and, and uh, how it's working for you. And that is it for this episode of The Productive Woman. Thank you so much for spending this time with me. I hope you felt like it was worth listening to. I hope you found something in it that's helpful or encouraging to you. I look forward to talking with you again very soon. So until next time, remember, extend grace to each other and to yourself. And go make your life matter. Matter.